Today we're going to start a short series up until Christmas uh, that we're going to talk about uh, the new beginning. Last uh, semester or this past few months we've been talking about the beginning, in the beginning with uh, uh, Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And I told you that uh, the view that I was going to present to you is that Genesis is not teaching us about material origins, about how the universe came into existence scientifically. There just isn't any data in there that's scientific. It's just talking in a poetic way. And so to impose science onto a text that is not speaking to 20th or 21st century science is inappropriate. It's wrong way to handle your Bible. Now, you may have questions about creation, and I'll be happy to answer them in uh, the Q&A that we do sometimes after church or in the mornings. At the same time, we need to understand that there is in the Bible presented a new a beginning. In fact, the same exact words from Genesis 1 are used again in John chapter 1. And so I'm going to take us from that world, that old world, into this New Testament world where John self-consciously makes the connection between then and now and he does it in an amazing way so that you and I will know how to live in this current world. At 9 o'clock we have our adult Sunday school and we've been talking about living in a pluralistic culture. What's that like? Well, human beings have been living in a pluralistic culture ever since the garden. It's nothing new. And it should not surprise us to find ourselves in a pluralistic culture, and it certainly shouldn't make us afraid. And so we want to equip you. And if you can come at 9 o'clock, you'll get a lot of great insight, and uh, it's a great time for Q&A. And how do we negotiate our lives as Christians in an ever-increasingly non-Christian environment in our own country? and in the world around us. So I want you to turn, if you can, in your Bibles to John chapter 1. And if you don't have a scripture with you, uh, it's printed conveniently in your Bible or in your... Uh, uh, yeah, this is your Bible. Uh, it's in your, uh, your uh, bulletin handout this morning. So uh, let's begin reading this very famous passage. Now hear God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was nothing, not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that, was, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John bore witness about him and cried, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. From, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's right hand, He has made Him known. This is the word of the Lord. This is a very famous passage. In fact, uh, when you're sharing the gospel with your friends, you probably tell them to start reading in John. I have a different opinion. I think they should start reading in Genesis and then very quickly change over to John. Because Genesis is pregnant, as I told you in that series, with the future. Genesis 1 through 3 almost completes everything that will happen in the future. It gives us a grid and an understanding of it that is profound. And it's no wonder that John went back to Genesis. May, he may have had the scroll of Genesis open, you know, when he's sitting there at his table, and, uh, and had the text open when he was reading this, because the parallels are truly profound. And it is telling us about a new beginning, a new creation, a new humanity. And look at how he begins. In the beginning, in arche, hein halagos, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was proston theon. The Word was facing God or... uh, in, in the most intimate communion with God to the face, that's what pros means, with facing Him, a perfect reflection of God, the perfect manifestation of God, the Word of God. And obviously, John is reaching back to John 1. Logos, this famous word that means the Word, was known in Greek philosophy at the time. And it meant reason or logic that brings order. You know, logic, logos, very similar. It brings harmony, uh, meaning, uh, and and all that's good. And I'm not going to take away from that, but there are a lot of erroneous teachings that came out of that because it was too heavily influenced with rationalism. And if you think you can understand Jesus Christ by pure reason and rationalism, you're deceiving yourself. At the same time, if you think that you can understand Jesus Christ, the Word of God, with mysticism, you will also go awry. How must you understand Him? How must you understand God in Genesis 1.1? You have to understand them on their own terms. We don't want to come to this and start putting stuff on it. We just want to read it and let it come out to us. So in the beginning, the Logos had something to say and had an identity who this Logos was. Interestingly enough, in the Old Testament, if we just stuck with the Bible, forget Greek philosophy for a minute, just the Scripture. The Scripture clearly says that God and His Word are almost indistinguishable. Are you following me? Think about it. His Word and His being, who He is, cannot be separated. He doesn't say one thing and do another. He doesn't say one thing and be another thing. He is who He is. As He told Moses from the burning bush. Now this is a lot to get your head around. I'm not going to tell you it's not. 
But you at least need to have an, an, this elementary understanding of who Jesus is. So the, the scriptures itself said in Genesis 1.1, God said. And then everything that proceeded from that is what we know and what we know about God. And then you have Psalm 33.6 and other uh, mentions of it in Psalms. By the word of God, the heavens were made. The starry host by the breath of his mouth. Here he's using very poetic, beautiful, lyrical language to explain how God threw things out into the universe. This is why we don't want to reduce them to material and say, well, this is the, the scientific method by which he did it. This is not the way to read your Bible. And so therefore, he is telling us something that is below that, that will make sense to every generation of people, regardless of their science. It'll make sense to everyone. Even uh, Captain Kirk on the Starship Enterprise would understand this. No Trekkies here? I know Dan Rivas. Where's Dan? He said, okay, I know you're a Trekkie. All right, so you understand what I'm talking about. Won't matter what year it is, you know. Uh, people will understand this, but if you start trying to make it something it's not, it, it starts to lose meaning. There's, always, there's also something very interesting in, about Lagos. Lagos was used in the Aramaic Targums. Now, these were writings, the rabbinical writings that were paraphrases of the Old Testament. And if you look in the uh, Aramaic Targums, and I did, I actually open, I have some of them on my computer. The computer knows more than I do. That's why I have it up here. I don't want you to get deceived thinking that this is coming from your pastor. It's coming right out of the computer. So you have Dr. Google at your hand, your fingertips here. But the Aramaic Targums, I did take them out of my, my software, and I, I actually looked it up and read it. And in the Aramaic Targums, these paraphrases, loose paraphrases of the Hebrew Bible, the rabbis would equate... God's word with God to the point that they would sometimes take the name of God out and put word of God in. And so it's fascinating that there's this, this subterranean belief that not was it just a Greek category, it had ancient Near East cognates that, that resonated, that vibrated with it, so that when you thought of God and His words, you thought of Him. And then he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Proston theon. The Word was facing God. The Word word was towards God. It's almost too hard to put into it. It was like God was looking at himself, but in a different person. This is some of the mystery that you have in the Trinity that people, oh, we can't understand the Trinity. No, we cannot understand the Trinity, but you can apprehend this. That when I look, I have two sons and they're, uh, they're, they're spitting images of me. Not really, but they're, they're very close. I mean, you look at you, oh, they're Chuck's kids. But they're not me. But they perfectly reflect me, except when they're in jail. Then they don't reflect me. <laughs> 
You get the idea. I mean, we look in our children, what do we see? We see a reflection of ourselves. That is, on a human level, very uh, elementary, and it's not to be compared one-to-one with the Trinity. But what God, was, what God was seeing was Himself in the person of His Son, and they shared everything. They looked like each other. They were each other. He was with God, proston, facing Him, pros, face. And His life, the life of the Word, was the life and the light of men. You know, you cannot live in darkness. Human beings are not made to live in darkness. Light gives life to everything. Now, there are some little species that live down in Carlsbad Caverns. They've never seen the light. I don't know what's up with that. But life in general, you've got to have light for life to be there. And then in verse 5, look at what he says. The light shines in the darkness. In other words, it explodes into the darkness and the darkness has not understood. In your ESV it says understand, but in other translations it says, uh, in your ESV it says overcome, but in other translations it can mean uh, that it didn't understand the light. Both of them are true, whether you translate the word as overcome or understand. What it meant was, is there was darkness, but the light erupted. Not erupt like a volcano, but erupt, I-R-R-U-P-T-I-O-N. The eruption, eruption from the outside in. The light came in and blew the darkness back. And the darkness now is in conflict with the light. Just like Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was tahu v'bohu. It was void and without form. It was dark. It was chaotic. And God said, let there be light. And God separated light from darkness. He did not create darkness. He created light. And darkness, as St. Augustine said about many things, is nothing. It's a non-thing. And Jesus comes into this world where darkness is an oppressive, an oppressive absence of good, an oppressive dark. And he explodes in a new creation. The Word of God, indistinguishable from God himself. And here's the point, folks. The heart of the gospel, the very heartbeat of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just the four gospels, but the entire ark, which something which uh, Dr. Courtney Doctor, Dr. Doctor, will teach you, that you see Christ all through the Bible, shot through. Because the story of the Bible is a story of light beating back the dark and bringing light and life to God's people, to those who will trust Him. Will you trust Him? You see, that's what we're talking about here. And John is saying to the New Testament community, it's happened again. Again we have light. Again we have Creator. Again we have the Word of God speaking. Again we're not a representative of God. We have Him Himself. And it gets better, audience, is what John is saying. The heart of the Gospel is who? This Logos is. Who it is. Not just what He does. He does lots of miracles. He's amazing. He dies on the cross for our sins. That's all great. But you know what? If He wasn't who He is, dying on the cross would have meant nothing. People die every day. 
The fact that he, who he was and he was on the cross, now you're talking about something entirely different. Who is there? You can't just say, oh, he's a nice guy, or he was a prophet, or whatever he was. Oh, no. Once you do that, you're just talking about religion. We're talking about Jesus. The Word of God. The Logos. And if you're talking about Him, now you're on a whole other level of everything. There's just no way to explain it. To express yourself completely, you need Word. That is what we're learning here. Most, there's many connotations to Logos. We don't have time to go over th- through all of them, and I don't want to do that, uh, at least not this morning. But the most basic connotation, according to, to uh, Dr. Kathleen Nielsen and her little commentary, wonderful commentary, the basic way we express ourselves is through our words. Who we are comes out of what we say. And this is what God has done with Logos. It's not just mysterious and it's certainly not rationalistic or Gnostic. What it is is God's self-expression. He comes into the world in a way that Moses could not have imagined. A burning bush? Just a figure. True, but a figure. You know, coming in a cloud, a pillar of fire and a pillar of, of, of cloud. All great, wonderful. Ooh, they're strong, but... What happens when this Logos, this God, now He comes in this new creation. Now He comes and He comes into a manger. Into poverty, into weakness, into human flesh. He can be killed. He can be sick. He can be tortured. He can be be sad. He can be happy. He can be abandoned. Imagine what we have because of who He is. It's a new creation, a new beginning, a new relationship of communion and intimacy of life and light that the prophets could only barely, barely imagine like a thin sliver of reality that it would ever be like that. And we have the whole thing. We have the whole person. This is what Christianity, this is why Christianity is gospel or good news. We're saying to the world, our King has come. Our King has come, the King of all creation, the King of the universe, the One who made it all, has come to reign among His people and back into His world to conquer the darkness. And how is He going to do that? He's going to do it through us. Yikes. He's actually going to do it through His people. It's scary, but it's exciting. And look at how we know that. Look at verses 6-8. through eight. John the Baptist, here's, here's the witness He was sent from God to bear witness. That means he came to announce something. To bear witness and say, this is the one of whom I was speaking. Remember I was talking about him? Here he is. I'm announcing something. Mark and Luke uh, uh, and Matthew uh, actually used the, the word euangelion, used the word gospel in describing this. John doesn't use that precise word. But what he's saying, the same thing. It is an announcement. The gospel is not just that you can be saved from your sins. That's great, and that's as good as it gets, right? No, it actually gets better than that. Not only saved from our sins, but our King has come. And He's not only going to save us from our sins, He's going to save us from everything. 
from our leprosy, from our poverty, from our lameness, from our blindness. You see, Jesus went about doing good and suppressing the enemy, conquering the devil. He was showing us signs. These signs pointed to the reality that we're all lepers in one way or another. We're all blind. We don't see things right. We're all lame. We don't walk through this world the way we should walk. We're all Pharisees. We all love to judge others and think them worse than ourselves. We've brought it to a high art in Christianity, looking down our nose at those underneath us. (laughs) If we only knew. And John comes to bear witness that all might believe. Believe what? Believe that He's the King. Our King has come. And He is ruling and reigning sovereignly. Even in this messed up world, He's doing it. He's doing it through you and me and His people all over the globe. And as governments and everything get, the more chaotic they get, the brighter we should get. I've been saying that for over a year now, from when we started the book of Revelation into Genesis and now this. The world is begging for us, folks, even the few here, begging for us to stand up and let God's light and life come out of us to this world. Instead of aligning ourselves with whatever political or cultural or whatever it is, we just get in line with all the rest of the sheep and just do whatever they're doing and thinking that's okay. It's not okay. It's never been okay and it's not okay now. We have got to regain that life and vigor so that we can be an influence in our culture, transforming our culture. John did that. He did that by witnessing to Christ. And we are those witnesses today. Jesus isn't going to appear in an F-18 and do some sky riding up there as if He would need the plane. No, He has sent you. He sent John. He came from God to bear witness. And God has come in the person of His Holy Spirit so that you and I can be that to our neighbors, our friends, people out there in our workplace, everywhere, in our families, for goodness sakes. What's tearing families apart today? Because we will not give up our rights for somebody else in our family. Parenting is hard. Parents, you're going to have to give up something to have children. Children, you're going to have to give up something to obey your parents. And whatever that thing is that you've got to do, you better do it. Because if you don't, it's an idol. It's got you. It's your, it's your slave master. And it will control you, young people, old people. It takes sacrifice to live in this world. And Jesus wants us to sacrifice. What's wrong with that? He wants us to suffer. Is there something wrong with that? In America, it's the worst thing that can happen to you. In the Bible, it's the best thing that can happen to you. That you suffer for righteousness. That you hunger and thirst for righteousness. That you want this king John was talking about. What about the light? Look at 9 through 13. He says, I am the true light. This word true is a a word that means genuine. It's the ultimate light. There's no better light than this light. In fact, it's so unique that in the Psalms, uh, the psalmist said, in your light we see light. Now that's a mind blower, isn't it? How do you see light in light? Because His light, the light, the true light of Jesus Christ, this Logos, is so revulgent, 
it is so unusual, so overwhelming, that light appears like something that's not light in its revulgence. He came into the world, and notice he says world three times. World, world, world. He came into the world. The world didn't know him. The world didn't receive him. Look how he uses that. What does that communicate to us? It should communicate that if he came to the world, then there's something good about this world. That he means to restore and recreate and redeem, which is the story of the book of Revelation. It is about God coming back and not ushering everybody into heaven. That's where you go before He comes back. But when He comes back, where is He going to come? Revelation 21, He comes here. He brings heaven to us. He unites Himself with the creation and with humanity in a way that is mind-boggling. And that means that we can live for our world. Not in the world, not of the world, but we can live for the world. You can give yourself to this world without fear. Oh, we've got to hide. We've got to get down. We've got to hunker and bunker because, oh, the world's evil out there. Don't be afraid. Jesus said a hundred times. Well, the Bible says 365 times. One for each day. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Yeah, you're going to get messy. You know what? You're going to get messed up. If you get involved in, if you come to our church and you, get, and you come to know me, you're going to get messy. I'm a mess. Ask my wife. Ask my sons. It's messy to be involved in people's lives. You know what? It, it is. You get in and you do it. Why? Because Lagos came down. In him was life and light for this dark world. He came to his own, his own people, humanity in general. Maybe he's talking about Jewish uh, uh, nation in particular. But he means human beings refused to believe. They were blind. They were dead in their sin and trespass. They would not. They loved the world. Jesus said, you love the praise of men more than you love God. You see, anything will seem preferable to him. Or anything will seem preferable to you until you see His light. When God explodes, we talked about it this morning, uh, class. Remember class? We were in there talking about this this morning. When He explodes and you see the true light, there's no more darkness. You are solid with Him. doesn't mean you won't have problems. We're going to have problems in the world. You'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. What? I've overcome the world. You see, He doesn't just leave it there. Come run to Me. Come get in the light and you'll overcome the world. Amazing. But He's talking about the world. He's not talking about going and hiding in you know, some commune somewhere to get away from it all. Please don't do that. If we go, the world goes down. You know that, right? Where does the kingdom of God go? Say, it goes with Me. Say it. It goes with me. Wherever I go, the kingdom of God goes. The light goes. Hallelujah. Think about that. I mean, I'm a Presbyterian, but I'm getting excited. Think about it. For goodness sakes. I mean, you, the light goes with you. The kingdom goes with you. The logos goes with you. The true light comes with you. He's in you. He loves you. Wow. He wants us. 
But all who did receive him, listen now, listen closely. All who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right or the ability to become children of God who were born. Now this is, this is mind-blowing. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but the will of God. Now I didn't write the Bible. I never would have written it this way. I would have written it like, I came to Jesus because I'm actually smarter than most people and I'm better than most people. So I'm coming to Jesus. I'm going to accept Him into my heart and I'm going to make a decision for Him and all of that other stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that because you are doing that. But if you don't see that behind that, before you ever had an inkling, not by the will of man, the will of the flesh, the will of blood, not by any natural, normal means that we would normally say a person becomes uh, 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 who they are. They are born, if you will. Before any of that happens, He wills for you. He says to you, I want you. That's why we baptize, and just a tangent, why I told you a few weeks ago we baptized one of our babies. That's why we baptize babies. Because a human being coming to the baptismal font or the pool or whatever it is, is not saying anything to God. God is saying something to you and your children. God is making the promises. God is saying, me for you, I'm here. Now you, come to me, I've come to you. And I'll tell you, Christianity needs to do an about face on that stuff. We need to understand God has said yes to us. He loves His world. He loves humanity. He lo- people are bad. He doesn't just change bad people into good people. I told a class this morning. He, doesn't, he didn't come to make bad people good. He made... He came to make dead people live. Do you see the difference? If all He did was come to make bad people good, He just would have given us a list of rules. But your whole Bible, I mean, this is the whole Bible. There's only about ten pages of rules. The rest is about how He takes dead people and makes them alive because they trust Him and believe in Him. God wants you and He doesn't just want you to let you go free as if uh, you were in court and He lets you go free. He wants to adopt you as His children. He gives you the right to become children. Very quickly, let me read you one of the most profound quotes that you will ever read about the doctrine of adoption. What does adoption mean? Human natural adoption in this world is amazing. That you could go out and love something that's not biologically yours and bring them in and provide them all of the good and safety and kindness and love that God has shown us. Think of it. It's magnificent. Okay. That's what He does for us. He comes and He adopts us. And it's become a doctrine in our church. We believe in adoption. And listen to what Dr. J.I. Packer has to say about adoption. Nobody will ever write anything like this again. And nobody would have the guts to do it. Listen. Adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers. Higher even than justification. Now, I would never say that. Dr. Packer can say it because he's the 800-pound gorilla. You know, we're just little monkeys on the side over here. We don't, he's the big... And Dr. Packer said, it is the highest privilege, higher than forgiveness, higher than being made righteous in God's sight. But listen... He's not done yet. 
higher even than justification by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past together with His acceptance in the future. That's what we're talking about when we say justification. Justification is the primary blessing. Now look at it. This is what a theologian does. He starts picking things apart, which is so cool most of the time. Justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary need. What is your need? My need to be forgiven. So it's the primary. It's the first one. We all stand by nature under God's judgment. We all do. His law condemns us. Listen to this. Brilliant. Guilt gnaws at us, making us restless and miserable. And in our lucid moments, we are afraid. We have no peace in ourselves because we have no peace with God, our Maker. So we need forgiveness of our sins and assurance of a restored relationship with God more than we need anything else in the world. But this is not to say that justification is the highest privilege Change of words. My brother says vocab- uh, theology is all about vocabulary, and it is. He changed his word. It's the highest privilege. Think for a moment. A privilege. Not to say that justification is the highest blessing, adoption is higher. A higher blessing, a higher privilege. Not primary, justification is primary. Hope you all are following that. But, but the blessing comes in that He doesn't just free you from your sin. He doesn't just say not guilty and hit the gavel on the, ta- on the judge's table in, in, the, in a courtroom setting and say, you're not guilty. He says, you're not guilty. Now bring the lawyers in so we can do the adoption papers. I don't want to just set you free. I want you to come live with me. In my Father's house, I've prepared many rooms. It doesn't say mansion. It's not like everybody's got their own mansion. That's American theology. Bible theology is like, I'm Middle Eastern. My family came from Lebanon. We all want to live together in the same house. And we hate each other. And you know what that is. I mean, you know, you, you love your family, but oh my God, do I have to live with them? Well, yeah, let's live with them because she cooks really good and she cleans, you know. Well, you get the picture. I mean... It's, 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 an, it's an idea that we're going to live with him in his house. He's going to have rooms. and we're, Not only rooms, but there's going to be room, space. There's also the connotation in John 14 that it's going to be roomy, spacious. So we can all not only be in the same house, but in the same room. Can't you wait? Maybe not. Okay. <laughs> Justification is a forensic idea. It's a courtroom idea conserved in, in, concern, conceived in terms of law, viewing God as a judge. And that's what it is. That's Romans. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love. Viewing God as Father, Abba. In Arabic we say Baba. Same thing. Adoption. God takes us into His family. He establishes us as His children and heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amazing. Closeness, affection, generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. Listen to Packer. But to be loved, cared for by God the Father is greater, greater, 
Because when you mess up, when you mess up, and you will two seconds after you come to Him and bow down and worship Him and promise you'll never do it again, 30 seconds later, what are you doing? The same thing. And a judge will have to do what to you? Go through the whole court proceedings. I'll have to start it all over again. Okay, we've got to go through all that again. But when he adopts you, what does he then do for you? He says to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will hound you into the bottom of this world if I have to. I will draw. When you sin, I'm coming in close. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to wait for you. I'm not going to hold my nose. I'm going to come down into this world. I'm going to be made flesh so that I can dwell among you and know your hurts and know your pains and know who you are and know what you need. And die for your sins. And then take you in so that you can never get away. You don't say, I don't want you anymore. He says, I want you. And He'll track you down no matter where you are. If you're His, you can't escape Him. The Word became flesh. Look at the Son. This is where He's going. John is doing this very self-consciously. And I need to finish right now. I don't have time to go on. But we'll come back and look at it some more. The Word became flesh dwelt among us, we've seen His glory, glory is of the only Son, monogene, the only one, one monogene, begotten, generated by God Himself, not made uh, by any other me. He was always there. In other words, when God is prostantheon, it's eternal. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. He didn't just appear uh, in time and space. He was always there. He was always the beloved of the Father. When the Father looked at Him, it was with all the filial love that, it, that you could imagine and more and beyond. And He looked at His Son and His Son looked back at Him. And Jonathan Edwards says the energy of love that was pulsing between them was the person and work of the Holy Spirit drawing them and overflowing like a fountain and is spilling out and is gushing over and it creates the world. That is a vision that you can live in and change that world. He lives for that and He gave it to us. So he, this, let me finish very quickly and we'll come back and look at it when we have more time. John is telling us who Jesus is, but he's telling us who you are. New humanity, new, new group of people to populate this world, to fill and form, to, to reproduce, to multiply, both by natural means. I hope you know we've got a lot of big families in our church, thank God. Maybe you've had no children, okay? So you don't have children, you can multiply. We are capable of multiplying in other ways. And God has meant for us to do that, to fill, to form, to push back the darkness until it is gone or until He returns, whichever comes first. It's okay? We never have to fear. We never have to duck our head. And when we sin, when we do sin, and we all do, I'm sure you did this week, we can come to Holy Communion and we can see in bread and wine forgiveness for your sin. Why? Because you're a family member. Not an employee. Not a slave. Not a stepchild. You've been brought in and you are now His child. Jesus is the only begotten, but you're His. Amazing. Will you trust Him? 
I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for your kindness. It's almost too much to think about and talk about. It's so deep and so rich. And I pray that this morning as we come, Father, to Holy Communion together as a body, a family of people who are striving to follow you in all of our weaknesses. I mean, every one of us here has got stuff in our lives that are almost unmanageable, maybe unmanageable. But we know that you are our parent, our father, Abba. We ask you, please, renew our faith. Assure us of your love and salvation. Give us a heart for this broken world. They don't have you. We at least have you. (laughs) We have somewhere to run and hide. But think of the people we don't have, Father, please. And have mercy on them as well. And let us be instruments of your grace. Amen.